You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Thanks for joining us today. Today on our podcast, we have Andrea Haynes, the Laboratory Director of Hospital Services at Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center, joining us. How are you doing today, Andrea? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to go over a brief overview of um, what happens to your blood after you donate and the journey of your blood. Just to get us started, can you kind of go over what the components in your blood and our blood that you would use and just a little bit about what they all are, like red blood cells and all that stuff? Sure. So your blood's primarily made up of red blood cells um, and also plasma and platelets. And those are the primary components that we kind of filter out to use. Um, So red blood cells really deliver, their main goal is to deliver oxygen throughout your body. Um, Platelets and FFP, or the plasma, are primarily used for hemostasis in your body. So platelets help with clotting. Um, Any vascular injury, it helps clot and form that plug. It also breaks down those plugs Um, And then the plasma also has um, a wide variety of coagulation factors that can help assist your body forming those clots. When somebody goes to a blood donation center to donate uh, donate blood, um, once once the blood is donated and out of the body and the blood donation center has it, um, what happens to the blood after that? Sure. So once you donate, um, the unit of blood goes to, and our partner is LifeServe here in Des Moines. Um, and I'm sure it's similar to the Red Cross or other um, donation centers, but our blood product at LifeServe goes to their hospital services team. It's a 24-7 operation. Um, they start by testing the unit of blood, and they test 15 different tests every single donation. Um, so those include um, ABRH type Um, antibody screen, testing for syphilis, and basically infectious diseases, so hepatitis, syphilis, HIV are the big ones. Um, Most recently, they added the West Nile virus and Zika. Um, So those are tested every time somebody donates, regardless if they've donated before. Um, And then from there, they uh, kind of process the unit of blood. So when you donate, it's considered whole blood. And at the donation center, they spin it down with like high ultra centrifuges, um, and they can separate your unit into three, three different um, parts. So your red cells, your platelets, and your plasma. So truly, when they say um, you can help donate, you can help three people per one donation. It can go to three different individuals at that point. Um, once all the tests come back and they're sufficient and negative, um, the product's created and it goes to their product management team. Um, From there, they work with the hospital partners um, and assist with uh, logistics as far as getting blood products to the medical centers that need them. Once the medical centers get the blood um, that's been donated and comes from the blood donation centers, uh, what happens once you guys get them, get the blood? Sure. So we kind of keep stock of our inventory. Um, We order daily for our facility here. Um, once we get the units of blood, or um, we retest and type the donor, type the blood type, I should say, um, for each unit of blood just to confirm that it's correct. Um, from there, we put it into our inventory, um, and that then becomes available for transfusion. So once we receive orders from the physicians um, about transfusions, we would cross-match that unit to the particular patient. 
each patient has what they call a type and screen collected. Um, so basically we're running their blood type. Um, and then we also run an antibody screen. So that antibody screen detects, um, and everybody has a genetic makeup that's different. Um, so we try and screen for all these antibodies that you may have that may cause a reaction with a transfusion that you would um, possibly get. So what we obviously want to avoid those reactions. Um, so we're making sure that blood's compatible when we cross-match that unit of blood um, to the patient. Um, from there, we release it um, to the patient for the nurses to transfuse. What type of procedures like would most you that you would see use tra blood transfusions and um, platelets and plasma? Sure. So really, the high transfusion is obviously malignancy. Um, so red cells and platelets are, are made in the bone marrow. So when bone marrow is suppressed, particularly for patients with leukemia, um, you'll see um, platelets that are really depressed. So we will we'll give them a unit of platelets for those types of um, patients. Hemolytic anemias are another part for red cells. So that basically means your red cells are just breaking apart. So um, your body's not getting you know, sufficient oxygen. Um, as far as platelets, um, like I said, malignancy and FFP. So that's clotting factors are formed in your liver. So patients with um, liver dysfunction or liver failure, they tend to get um, a higher amount of um, plasma. And the other piece is surgery. So high risk surgeries include cardiovascular. Um, you know, you, you're working around arteries that supply a lot of the blood to the body. Um, those would be considered high risk. Um, anytime we have um, a trauma, um, so sometimes we, they initiate what they call the massive transfusion protocol, and that's just a high number of units are getting um, transfused to the patient at one time. Typically, those are around, you know, maybe a car accident or, um, you know, gunshot victims or stabbings or, some, or such. So uh, one, one question that just popped into my head is just, like, how much blood do you usually order on like a weekly basis? Obviously it always changes by what you need, but how much do you usually have to order in? Um, I do know that we transfuse around 13,000 units um, per year. So I'm thinking we order a couple hundred every week at least. I mean, some days, and it kind of depends on the usage. So if we have a trauma that comes in that uses a lot of our inventory, we're replacing that immediately. Um, so it's really important that donations are ready for the blood center um, for us to be able to order. How does donating blood directly help your local community? I mean, obviously, we, you, like you said, you, ordered you have to order thousands of units um, a year just to do regular things within the medical hospital. So, you know, it's just a way of giving back and knowing that you're helping somebody. And I feel like this might be the biggest disconnect um, as far as people wanting to donate, because you, you know, you do spend time and you donate, you know, part of your body technically, and you don't know who it goes to. You don't know why they're receiving it or, you know, did they make it? Did they not? Um, I must say though, that LifeServe has recently um, started a program called Think the Donor. And I think this is just awesome. So basically the donor goes in and you know, they, they're, they have a unique ID um, that's tagged to your unit of blood. And so that, tag that goes to, um, stays on the unit until it goes to the patient who's receiving your unit of blood. That patient has the option to 
um, anonymously reach out to your unique ID and they can say thank you for your donation. They can even send pictures. It's just a really good way to understand um, kind of who's receiving it and who you're helping. So I think that's just a great program and I really hope it takes off. I really love that because that is such a nice way and a personalized way to know who's getting your blood and for the patients to be able to give thanks as well. I mean, it's just what a wonderful way to really connect the two people who have both donated blood and then received um, the transfusion. So that's absolutely that's awesome to hear. And now sometimes obviously your blood that if you donate them can go all over, it's kind of where it's needed, right? Yeah. So I think the national news has maybe reported recently there are shortages. Um, so in here in our uh, region, we're not, that short. So we have sent units to, you know, the East Coast, West Coast, whoever's in dire need. So some of the units can go pretty far uh, within the whole United States, Um, but mainly they stay in our tri-region here. Um, Are there like certain times of the year that blood donation is needed more? Like um, I know that summer season in the emergency department is considered like the trauma season. So does that have an effect on when you need blood? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, summer, you know, a lot more people are out and about, you know, traveling, you know, so we do see car wrecks um, more frequent. Um, so, yeah, the, the trauma season is summer season. And technically, in some of those patients, you know, the MTP protocols, sometimes they can be transfused up to, I've seen up to 100 units per patient, like just kind of how much do they need it. So they can, it, it seems to be a lot. So donations in the summer are definitely um, in need. Yeah. And now I know that there are like certain blood types that are sought after over others. Um, Can you talk a little about why um, certain blood types are like that? Sure. So your blood type is all genetic. It comes from mom and dad, right? Um, So red blood cells, they have um, antigens on them. And so the most prevalent antigens that can be on red cells are your A, B um, antigens. And then also you hear of your RH factor. It's just named after a scientist. Um, so it's recess factor. Um, so that's either you have that or you don't. So that's where your positive comes in. For example, if somebody does not have any antigens on their red blood cells, um, they would consider B, O. And so if they have the RH type, bending if they have it or not, you'd be O pos if you have it. And if you don't, own A. Um, same thing. So if you have the A antigen on your red cell, you'd be considered A blood type. If you had the B antigen, you'd be considered B blood type. And if you had both antigens, A and B, you'd be considered A and B blood type. A, B, I'm sorry. Um, so the most prevalent in our region is O pos and A pos. Um, the most uh, rare, I would say, is A, B, neg, and B, neg. And that's very um, reliant on the region that you're in. So I do know, like, the Asian descent, their most prevalent um, antigen is B. They're mostly B types over there. Um, I want to say the African community, African-American community is also B um, or A, if I remember right. But that goes back to my school days. That's a long time ago. <laughs> um, so with that being said, O negative is what they consider the universal donor because they have no antigens on their red cells whatsoever. So they don't have A or B or the RH type. Uh, with the flip side, so you're AB positive. If you have AB positive um, blood type, then you can be the re- universal recipient. You can receive anybody's blood 
um, that donates. Um, so that's why they say we really try to conserve O-negative blood types um, just because, I mean, these are the most prevalent antigens. There's also many other antigens um, out there that we screen for. Um, so O-negatives we really try to reserve for mommies um, who are women, I should say, in childbearing years because um, that Rh factor can really cause um, havoc on the fetus if, if it um, if it, a chance. So that's why we really try to conserve O-negs for females who are childbearing years. Oh, yeah, I bet. that mm -hmm. I, I hadn't even given that a thought. That's so true. Yeah. Um, so is there anybody who can't donate blood or for any reason or why they should not be donating blood? Yeah, there, you, there's some um, requirements where you cannot donate blood. And as you donate, you'll every time you donate, you take the same questionnaire. Um, it's a health screening. And so they ask around 90 to 100 questions. And those questions revolve around travel. They revolve around, you know, one sticks out my mind of have you had a recent tattoo or piercing? Um, have you come in contact with somebody who could potentially have a highly infectious disease? Um, are you on certain medications? All of those things um, will determine if you can donate. And so, some, like if, for example, if you get a tattoo or piercing, um, typically if you, I think, wait one year or maybe six months, you can donate after that time passes. Obviously, if you've had certain diseases, I mean, HIV, you cannot donate. Um, or if you travel to different parts of the world, um, they really recommend not donating. And that really ties to diseases. So there's mad cow disease, for example, in the UK back in the 80s or 90s, I want to say. Um, that they really uh, do not recommend any transfusions from. Yeah, because those they they can be easily spread through yeah. blood. I mean, they directly into another body. Mm -hmm. And really, the only reason you shouldn't donate is obviously if any of those factors, those requirements, um, uh, are something that you have. Or but in just in general, if you feel sick for that day, I, I definitely would not recommend donating. Or if you. Um, um, having a heavy, heavy workout, you know, I wouldn't go run a marathon and then try to donate <laughs> the next day. So, um, If I've never donated blood before, what can I expect? I, I know a lot of people are nervous around needles. Mm -hmm. um, it's a quick process. Um, really, when you go in, um, they, again, they ask you your screening questions, your health questions, which is about 90 to 100 questions, the same every time. Um, at that point, they'll do vitals as well. So they'll take your temperature, they'll t um, check your pulse. Um, they'll also do your blood pressure, and then they will do um, a quick hemoglobin check. So that's a finger stick. You have to pass all four um, before you can move on to the chair. And so once you get to the chair, um, they really prep you. So they get their um, units ready. Um, they do prep your arms. So obviously the most painful piece is the needle going into your vein and it stays in your vein until you're done donating. I'd probably say that whole time right there is 20 minutes. So they give you a stress ball. You can squeeze it in your hand to kind of help with the flow into the unit. Um, and then you'd be done once the, and it's pretty quick. So from start to finish, it's about 30, 45 minutes. Um, once you're done donating, um, they they do want you to sit there for about 10 minutes to make sure you're feeling okay. Some people, because the volume is going out of your body, they want to make sure that, you know, you don't pass out or you don't feel nauseous. So you can sit there and have snacks, delicious snacks with water um, or orange juice. And so um, once the 10 minutes have passed, you usually can be on your way. Nice. Now, I know that... Um 
Some people have really iffy veins um, that kind of move around or squirm. Um, is there anything that you can um, eat beforehand or drink lots of water beforehand to kind of prep your veins for yeah. the smoothest donation? Yeah, definitely. You just nailed the head of the nail. So you definitely want to drink a lot of water and you want to make sure you eat a full meal before you go. Awesome. And that would assist with that. And so these are, um, so they draw blood all day, every day. And so I've never, um, knock on wood, <laughs> had an issue with being collected, but um, they, they do this all day long. So I'm pretty confident that even with the squirming or the rollies uh, veins that they could find one. Yeah. Kind of a bonus perk of donating blood, especially right now is I feel like, is there automatic testing for COVID antibodies? I mean, yeah, so this all came about because of, you know, the height of COVID, it was starting. I think a lot of, you know, medical groups were trying to figure out how we can help, you know, alleviate all the COVID cases and the severity of the COVID cases. So an idea came from antibodies and plasma. So if somebody had COVID, obviously your body produced a lot of antibodies to that virus. And so um, the idea is to transmit those antibodies to another individual who um, maybe is immunosuppressed, um, can't produce those antibodies, or just give them a little booster. Um, so that's what they called convalescent plasma, kind of at the start of the COVID um, era. And so um, we did see some success, but not complete success. So the convalescent plasma idea, um, you know, it was popular in the beginning, but it's sort of fallen off. But Needless to say, they are still testing for the COVID antibodies. Is there anything else you want to plug um, about blood donations and just your work? No, it's just a great way to give back and just knowing um, that you're helping, you know, potentially three different people um, who are, you know, really going through something traumatic in their life. Um, so I would just say every, you know, six to eight weeks, making an appointment on your calendar is just a good way to give back to your community. Well, thanks, Andrea, for um, joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. We love to hear from our listeners, so send us your feedback by visiting mercyone.org slash podcast and filling out the form. Thanks again for listening and live your best life.